folks. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Wednesday night as I'm recording this uh, late evening. Uh, definitely not on time, not on the time that I wanted to record this podcast. I was, uh, was caught up with a variety of, of news bits and then, like, the, the Ukraine and Russia situation is becoming very serious. Um, I am not qualified to talk about that, and I don't want to uh, spend your time on this podcast talking about it. But I would say to people, is uh, familiarize yourself with what's going on and read up about it in trusted sources. And don't try to take everything at face value and don't try to take everything on Twitter. Just uh, try to read and watch what's going on as best as you can. And uh, keep people in Ukraine in your hearts because this is it's going to be a really dangerous time for for a lot of people. So, on today's podcast, we are going to go over in the first segment what happened at practice today, what didn't happen at practice today. Uh, second segment's going to go over the big man grades that I wanted to share. I've decided to table the injured player grades because. I've talked. I talked about Jamal Murray and Michael Porter last night with Jeff Morton. Uh, that was a very popular podcast. So thank you to everybody who listened to that one. If you haven't listened to it yet, Jeff was fantastic. Internet was a little bit spotty, but that's okay. We'll just blame Jeff and the uh, the wired can that he uses to run his internet through. Um, so that is where you can hear about Jamal Murray a lot, Michael Porter a lot. And then in the third segment, we are going to talk – we're going to do some more mailbag. We're going to get into some of those questions. I, I pulled some questions a couple days ago. Thank you to everybody who sent those in. Really appreciate all of that. Um, it always helps. It, it definitely helps when when the interaction on the podcast is there because I, I just I, everybody sees. Everybody sees uh, how much you guys care. So thank you so much for that. But for now, let's get into what you want to be here for, uh, which is the practice update. Uh, We've got quotes from Michael Malone, quotes from Bones Highland, quotes from Nikola Jokic. Uh, Notably, though, there was no Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. update. Uh, Nobody asked about it directly to Michael Malone. So we don't have him like on record saying there is no update. But I did some digging prior to asked, asked a couple questions, and that was the general consensus from what we are hearing is that, hey, they, they haven't started contact yet. And so there there hasn't been an update. There is no update. And is that a little bit concerning to me? Yeah. Like that's that's definitely a little bit concerning. My interpretation, and, and if you listen to yesterday's podcast with Jeff, uh, you would definitely uh, be like, hey, Ryan, what the hell? You were, you were saying that you thought that Michael Malone would give an update uh, on, on their status for today. And that is true. I, I absolutely thought that there would be something. There would be more than what we received. Uh, there wasn't. And that doesn't mean that there couldn't be one two days from now or four days from now or seven days from now or in two weeks. It, this isn't an interminable period of time where those guys will not have an update and they won't start contact practice. I still think that Jamal Murray will be back in March. But I do think that I'm a little bit more concerned than I was uh, before today. I I said as much on Twitter today. I I think that it's just important that they're given a proper ramp-up period 
and they're not rushed into the end of the season trying to save the season rather than being reintegrated and, and brought upon slowly. Time is running out. The Nuggets have about seven weeks before the end of the regular season and eight weeks before the start of the playoffs. And the longer that those two guys in Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. don't start contact, it's the longer period of time that they're probably going to be delayed in their ultimate returns and then how close they can be to playing 30 30 minutes per game, 40 minutes per game, however much you would want somebody like Jamal Murray to play. Uh, So I think there are some definite questions I have about Denver's ability to play those guys long periods uh, now that like there's also the possibility that they may not even be back. So it's more possible than it was 24 hours ago in my mind, uh, just because I thought that there would be something there was nothing. And I just want to be blatantly honest like that. It's I didn't promise anything. But I also thought that there would be something. So it's my bad if, if I led anybody astray. Um, it was not my intention. It was just potentially either bad information or the information changed. So these things happen. Like injury timetables are dynamic where players can have setbacks or players can uh, just not progress in the way that you would hope. And it's not on my schedule that Jamal Murray is healed or Michael Porter Jr. is perfectly healthy or whatnot. Like, those guys just, they're, they're going to know when they know. And they're going to be very cautious, as they rightly should be. So, on today, Jamal Murray's birthday, let's, let's probably stop talking about the injury conversation. I do want to uh, give three games that I want people to go back and watch highlights of from Jamal Murray that I think every every Nuggets fan should remember. Game three against the Los Angeles Lakers in the bubble is one that not a lot of people have watched before. Like, they've they watched it, but it's one of them that's kind of forgotten to the ether because of the wins from the Utah Jazz and Los Angeles Clippers series. Uh, that game is is fantastic and deserves a lot of watches. Uh, the 50-point game, in Cleveland last year was spectacular, and people should go back and watch that. And then it's another one, the Chicago game last year, maybe, where he made the uh, the game-tying shots in the corner off of a nice two-man game with Nikola Jokic. That was about as dynamic of a two-man game play as those two have ever had. So if you're looking to binge-watch a little bit of Jamal Murray's highlights, make sure to go watch the... LA Lakers game three in the bubble, um, the Cleveland game, the 50-point game, and then the Chicago game. Those are fun ones that I enjoy. But back to practice where Michael Malone did not talk about Murray and Porter, but he did talk about a variety of other things. He went to Kansas City for his break, uh, went with his family to watch his daughter play volleyball uh, with a travel team from Colorado, and they're apparently very good. Uh, He said, when I went out there, I was a proud dad, a husband, just kind of turned off the nuggets for a few days, and I enjoyed it. Uh, These last three years have been really difficult on Malone. I podcasted about this with Jeff Martin last night, where uh, we had some critiques of Michael Malone, and and sometimes I forget that he's been 
attached to this Nuggets team for a long, long time. And it's been a very stressful endeavor for the last two and a half to three seasons. So it would be nice if Denver could just have like a normal season where guys don't have season ending injuries and you build towards the ultimate goal. The the entire team's already there. And that could be one of the reasons why Denver might wait to bring back Murray and Porter because they might be looking towards 22-23 as a better opportunity to ultimately do that. But I digress. We'll just have to see. Michael Malone on gaining any perspective from the break. uh, Quote, coming in here last night and seeing the guys, it was great to get back. My message to the players was we did a great job finishing uh, going into the break 6-1 We have 24 games left. We have to find a way to start the break as we finished it. And I'm I'm with him. Denver's scheduled to start the final 24-game sprint features six games against teams sub-500. Now, Sacramento, they play twice. Oklahoma City, they play once. And Sacramento now has DeMontis Sabonis. It looks like OKC is getting back Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So it's not like it's going to be perfectly easy, perfectly simple during that period of time. But I do think that Denver has an opportunity here that if they start things out correctly and go 4-2, and 5-1, and one, hopefully 5-1, and one, then you put some distance between yourselves and the seven seed. And that's what you really have to be watching for is just make sure to stay out of the seven, make sure to stay out of the play-in tournament. And that to me seems like the message that Michael Malone is sharing without actually saying that to the team. It's more just, hey, we control what we can control. And if we win, if we start well, then you do your work early. And then maybe you can bring back Jamal Murray and Michael Porter and not feel like, hey, we have to win these games. It's more just about, hey, let's get these guys ready to play. And then you might feel a little bit better about it. On DeMarcus Cousins and why he is a good fit in the locker room. Quote, he's a voice. He's a personality. He's not afraid to speak his mind. Quote, we have a locker room of great guys who aren't always willing to police each other. Quote, he gives us a toughness and an edge. So I'm going to go through all three of those, but I think the most important thing He's not afraid to speak his mind, and he gives us a toughness and an edge, are two quotes that stand out to me in that Denver has, like a lot of people have wanted, an enforcer of sorts, a Kenyon Martin type, a not a Draymond Green, but somebody who's kind of in that mold of a protector of sorts for the Nuggets that says, hey, we're not going to get punked. And I said, Last night that I thought, hey, maybe Aaron Gordon could develop into that guy. Well, Aaron Gordon's a California guy. He may not be that degree of fierce and like physical and wanting to do that. Sometimes he, I think he sees himself more as a DeMar DeRozan or a Kawhi Leonard than he does as a Kenyon Martin or a Draymond Green or somebody like that. And that's okay. Everybody's their own person. But for Denver, they may need that role because with Nikola Jokic, he's more of a soft-spoken leader, not necessarily the guy who's going to go rah-rah. Sometimes the team needs that. 
they've missed that with Jamal Murray not being on the court this year. And sometimes you need your rah-rah guy to be a guy who's on the floor. That'll give you the most oomph on the next possession or the next sequence where you need to win a sequence in order to win a game. And sometimes you need that rah-rah guy to get you hyped up, to get you ready to go and in the right direction. You need to see what they can do on the court, and then they get everybody behind you. So maybe that's something that DeMarcus Cousins can do. Maybe that's something that he's brought in to do when Nikola Jokic is off the floor. Because when Jokic is on the floor, you feel pretty good about whatever the situation is. Like he's going to probably win his minutes by about 8 to 10 points every single game. When DeMarcus Cousins is on the floor, you're a little bit more concerned, not because DeMarcus is a worse player, but more because the bench has always been a disaster. So if you can keep that to a minus two, like we've talked about, or a minus four, rather than a minus eight or a minus 12, then it gives you so much more leeway. And perhaps the emotional aspect of that is also built in. He's a physical beast. He's a physical rebounder, somebody who's been really, really helpful in that regard. And though he hasn't played well from a skill perspective, I don't think this year, he has given them the bruiser aspect that they need. So more on DeMarcus Cousins and his leadership style later. On Nikola Jokic's leadership, Michael Malone said, quote, when he speaks, everybody listens. Now it's about finding ways to do it more frequently. And that to me said, like he, he was talking about how Denver in the previous uh, DeMarcus Cousins answer, we have a locker room of great guys who aren't always willing to police each other. I think that's very interesting when talking about Nikola Jokic's leadership because he's still growing into it. Like He also said that the English barrier, although it is lesser now, it was something where Jokic probably didn't want to say something dumb or say something wrong and then have people look at him like, what is he saying? Now he feels more comfortable with the language and I think he's become more willing to speak up because people do listen to him. He's a guy that people trust. They believe in. They know he's going to not lead them astray. Like he's somebody who's about the right things, clearly, and he wants his teammates to be happy. So he's earned that respect in the locker room. Now it's just about extracting as much leadership and communication and emphatic um, direction, I guess as you possibly can get from a player like him. He's just turned 27. He just had a birthday. He was in his fourth straight All-Star game, started the second straight one. And I think that that matters as people continue to see him at the highest levels of competition. He's ultimately going to be along with Giannis, along with, uh, not Steph, but like some of the other young guys, like along with Luca, along with hopefully... John Morant and Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker and guys like that, people are going to continue to look to those guys as the next leaders of the NBA. And that's kind of a natural byproduct, despite that he may not want that. So while he's here, he's going to have to step up as a leader, especially in these situations where Jamal isn't there, Michael Porter isn't there, you're a little bit hamstrung. Obviously, you need somebody to keep the momentum going in the right direction. 
So it seems like Nicole is going to continue to be that guy, and I'm, I'm at least hopeful for Denver that as he continues to take more steps towards that, uh, both verbally and nonverbal in terms of his leadership, then maybe Denver becomes a more mature team because there are some signs of an immature team at times. And I do think that this is one of those important steps that a championship contender has to take. The Warriors don't do some of the things that Denver does. The Suns don't do some of the things that Denver does. The Grizzlies do. Sometimes they'll they'll get lost, and, and that comes from John Morant being their leader and still trying to grow into it. Luka Doncic and, and the Mavs, same thing. Even Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert in Utah, same thing. So you're going to need somebody who is mature and also self-assured, but also willing to continue to step up in that. And I think Jokic is well on his way. We may not be talking about this if, I don't know, Murray was healthy or Porter was healthy and Denver was just winning and it didn't really matter who was stepping up. It was more just about, hey, we feel very confident in this guy and maybe it's a non-story at that point. But for now, it is a story. And I do hope that as the going gets tough here, Denver gets behind the big guy. Quotes from Bones Highland. I'm going to go over these quickly. Not not too much to say from Bones, but on Gary Payton, who was his coach for the Rising Stars game, he felt that dog in me, uh, that killer instinct. That's what he played with back in his time. So every time I had the ball, I was just saying, "Don't." Or he was. He just said to me, "Don't play around. Go get a bucket every time. They can't guard you." That stuck with me because he's com- that's coming from a top seventy-five player. And that that struck me a little bit, not because Gary Payton was a legend, but because it seems like the top 75 now, there is a special tier there that if you made that list, then you're officially in the club of the elite of the elite. And some players are like, like Anthony Davis kind of made it by novelty and Damian Lillard, I think you're still, you're still waiting a little bit to see what that looks like going forward. Jokic didn't make that. And and it gives me a little bit of annoyance that he didn't make it because I think he was more deserving because his top end was better than those other guys. But he will be there eventually. And I do think that being a top 75 player is going to be important for the status of a lot of players. And some people care about that. Some people don't. Uh, I should halt myself with that. But I do think that it's interesting that Gary Payton, I think a lot of people think of him as the glove, think of him as a top tier defender. But he was more than that. Obviously, he was more than that. He was one of the leaders of a Seattle Supersonics team that was just freaking great with George Carl and Sean Kemp and Detlef Schrempf. So I do think that it is such a status symbol now that if you have the NBA or the top 75 sticker next to your basketball reference page, then people are going to think about you differently now. So that's that's going to be very interesting to appreciate and see how that develops going forward. And then what the NBA 100 is going to look like 25 years from now. God, I will be 50. I'll be 50 years old when that drops. Bones Highland on his confidence level. My confidence level never changes. It's always on 100. That's just classic Bones. 
And then more classic bones on what he wants to see from himself and the team in his final 24 games. A lot of wins. Just wants to keep being himself, playing his game. And he also said that with regard to the playoffs, where this will be his first playoff run, uh, hopefully. And I do think that that's going to be very interesting for a player like Bones and hopefully very valuable. He may not play, and it actually wouldn't surprise me if he didn't play. But Denver found times for Marcus Howard, Shaq Harrison last year. They were more than willing to play guys that could be helpful. So I wonder if Bones is next on that list and if he could be somebody who gives them just a little bit of a boost. I don't know. We'll see. Finally, quotes from Nikola Jokic. A little bit grumpy today with the media. Uh, Not necessarily his best showing with the media, but look, he had been dealing with uh, a whole bunch of interviews and interaction all weekend, so I don't really blame him. I'm just reporting here. Uh, Was this All-Star break a good rest for you? He says, quote, no, I was not at home. I was not on vacation. It is what it is. The last three years was like this. Okay. Okay. Question, is there a mental switch that gets flipped here? Quote, I don't know. And he went on to say some other things, but there was a lot of uh, kind of kind of huffed up answers a little bit, or maybe just like, ah, I, don't, I don't really want to think about this right now. And I get it. I do get it. Uh, question, do any of your teams or your teammates look more rested? And he says, quote, they all look the same, to be honest, which is funny. Uh, because it's probably true, and we are probably overrating five days off, uh, but it is still pretty funny. And then I asked him about uh, post All Star break rust, and he said, "Quote: Oh, I feel good, uh, but da da da. We never know with us, so we're going to see." And that that much is definitely true. Like I think back to when people were asking what the expectations should be for this team, and Everybody was saying championship and Michael Malone saying championship and or maybe not championship for from Michael Malone, but just to keep getting better. And then Jokic is asked the same question and he says, well, I don't know, I guess we'll see. We could be good. We could be bad. And he was way more right than I thought he would be. And I have to imagine that some of the runs, some of the open runs that they were doing, it was probably pretty interesting for Jokic where he is the only center in those open runs back in the summer. And I wonder if he knew back then that, man, they can't really defend me. They can't really guard me. Sometimes that's probably normal, but it's probably more um, except, like, not, well, I'm not, I don't know what I'm saying, but like it's probably more highlighted than at other points because Denver didn't have a backup center. And so perhaps – Maybe that was a strong indicator that Denver's bench would be a more struggle than it was and that we didn't really uh, highlight properly at the beginning of the season. Uh, But then he was asked, are there players that you think of as strong leaders from your time here? Uh, Adam Morris asked this question, really good question. And he mentions Jameer Nelson, uh, how he wasn't really a loud guy, but people listened to him when he spoke. And, And people talked about Paul Millsap that way. Uh, that more of a soft-spoken guy, but when he did speak up, people listened because they respect him. And I think Jokic specifically really appreciates the respect factor with a lot of those guys, that they definitely get more credits for the respect 
And he can see that. He can absolutely see that. So I think where Jokic can learn from Boogie a little bit, not to the extreme that Boogie is, where he's very boisterous, very loud, uh, very unabashed in his willingness to call people out. I think mixing that boisterous style with the Jameer Nelson, Paul Millsap soft-spoken leadership style, probably the right thing for this team, where they need a kick in the pants more than they've had. And the fact that Michael Malone has brought this up multiple times, I do think that that is also a story here where it, it seems like like Will Barton might be a leader, and, and Aaron Gordon might be a leader, and Jokic might be a leader, but the fact that we've heard this as often as we have over the course of these last six, seven years, that Denver's just a team of like soft-spoken guys who like nobody is really stepping up to be that major voice, uh, it's a concern that I continue to have that as Jokic continues to develop in that general direction, you hope that it resonates and that he continues to figure that out. But I don't know if it's likely, and I don't know if it's something that he really wants to do. So we're just going to have to see. I do think that the Nuggets at this point, so many things are solved when Murray and Porter come back, but also new problems begin, new, new questions begin. They're going to need a strong hand at that point. And whether that has to come from Michael Malone or if it can come from Nikola Jokic, I do think that that is a major question. Um, we don't hear this with the Bucks, with Giannis. He seems like a guy who has really stepped up and, and has become a verbal, like like consistent leader of that team. And everybody looks to him as the guy. And everybody looks to Jokic as the guy here. So I wonder if I'm making too big of a deal out of this or not, but I do think it's something worth noting given that we had a lot of leadership questions, a lot of communication questions today, and I do think that they're going to continue to pop up until they don't. So let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the bigs and grading the bigs for the midseason. But first, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. They are offering a deal as the official sports betting partner of the NBA. That is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs 360 windmill good, where new customers can bet just $1 on any team, get $150 in free bets if they win. It is that simple. Uh, the Nuggets are going to the Sacramento Kings tomorrow, uh, Thursday night, if you're listening to this. And I don't know if they do very well in Sacramento most of the time. So if I were, if I were you, I would I'd be very hesitant about that. But if you are interested, uh, Denver, they will probably have a lot of opportunities for Nikola Jokic to get some rebounds. So that is one that I would combine with new same game parlays, where you combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So make sure to go download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you do. Bet just $1, win $150 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code MHS only at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply, minimum $5 deposit. 
See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you could, it would be awesome if you could go rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm going to go through uh, these player player grades relatively quickly just because I know uh, that we are... I want to get to some questions. I want to get to some of the mailbag questions that people left me at the end of this pod, and I also don't want this pod to be more than an hour. So I'm going to put four minutes on the clock. For each guy, uh, for the bigs, we've got Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, or not Jamal Murray, Jamichael Green, Zeke Naji, and Demarcus Cousins, who just signed for the rest of the season, or will have signed by Friday. Interesting that he will have signed by Friday because it means that he will not be in Sacramento to play his former team. So make of that what you will. Um, but four minutes on the clock. Let's start now on Nikola Jokic, who per game is averaging 33 minutes, 26 points. 7.9 assists, 13.8 rebounds, shooting 57% from the field, 37.2% from three. Incredible high usage right now, 31.6%. And the efficiency that he's playing at right now as a scorer is just nuts. 65.3% true shooting. That leads the high volume scorers, where you've got guys like Giannis, who's at, I think, a 63 true shooting. Joel Embiid's more at 61, and so many of these guys, uh, when they when they take the high volume shots, when you have a guy like Jokic who is centered around a system, he takes so much of the attention away from people. But because he's such a good passer, he's able to be a little bit more selective with his shots, and it's one of the reasons why he's so dangerous. It's one of the reasons why the Nuggets are plus 10.1 net rating which is seventh in the NBA when he's on the court. Seventh in the NBA among guys that have played 30 games and have 20-plus minutes per game. His EPM is estimated plus-minus on dunks and threes. is plus 8.9. It's the best in the league. Obviously, we've heard about his box plus-minus. He has the highest PER of all time right now, though that is coming down. It's coming down to earth. So I do think that people... I think that Jokic got pretty tired towards the end of the All-Star break, or the like the beginning of the All-Star break. And I wonder what he looks like now, because he did just say that he's not like rested, that he didn't go he didn't go on vacation. He didn't stay at home. He wasn't given a full time off. He was more uh just doing a whole bunch of interviews and just a lot of exhausting things. So we've seen Jokic kind of struggle out of the All-Star break before. And it would be a big deal for Denver if he didn't do so this year, because this is a very, very important time for the Nuggets where they have to make good on these upcoming games. Um, His lineup data, he's 100% at center. The Nuggets, as you know, plus 10.1 net rating with Jokic on, minus 10.6 net rating with Jokic off. That's actually come down, or it's it's come up a little bit, uh, the discrepancy. It's it's plus 20.7 uh, on-off, which is 
still nuts. It's still the highest in the league, and it's still by a significant margin. But the presence of DeMarcus Cousins has really helped. I'm very curious to see what Jamichael Green looks like post-All-Star break, what Zeke Naji looks like post-All-Star break, what the rotation's going to look like for those guys, and whether they can be good behind him. But the fact is, is that when Denver has had Jokic on the court, they've been one of the very best teams in the NBA. They've matched up with the good teams. They've matched up with the bad teams. It's not about Jokic for Denver, because whenever you just cross off his 32 to 34 minutes a night and assume that he's getting 8 to 10 points on the margins, it's going to be about the rest of the team. And so that's why I've really talked about and and wanted to focus on Denver as a supporting cast being better uh, than they were and how I've kind of talked about them in recent days, uh, because I do think that I've definitely underrated Denver supporting cast. They just need another playmaker, somebody who's a star, who's a second star. They don't have guys currently that are second star types, third star types. They've got a lot of great supporting guys, and that's good. That's really helpful. It's not helpful when Jokic sits. So everybody needs to be conscientious of that, but that's not Jokic's fault. For what Jokic has done so far this year, I give him an A+. Uh, it would be an A++++, but he did get hurt. Uh, he did have a couple moments where lost his anger, lost his lost his temper, was ejected from games early. Um, but other than that, like what he's done is more than anybody could really ask for. So kudos to him for that. All right. Jamichael Green, 14.9 minutes per game, 6.3 points, 3.7 rebounds, and 0.7 steals. I want to highlight that number. Because I think one of Jermichael Green's best skills in the pick and roll is when he can hedge without fouling, he has really good hands, he has really good instincts, and as long as he can avoid the initial foul, he's really good on the defensive end. And I do think that that kind of gets lost in some of the the big problems that the Nuggets have had. Uh, But I also think that when he is at center... The offense has just been atrocious because he hasn't been the floor spacer that they've needed him to be, 26.5% from three. And the usage is at 19.2%, which is really high. Like for somebody who is a, a supporting guy, like he's had to carry a higher usage because he's always been a focal point on the second unit because so many of his minutes come when he's in the middle of the floor without Jokic, do trying to replace what Jokic does, but Nobody can replace what Jokic does, least of all Jermichael Green. So it's been tough. He he does have a reasonably efficient true shooting percentage, although it should probably be closer to 60. It's at 56 right now. Minus 7.1 net rating is really bad. And minus 2.1 estimated plus minus also really bad. But here's the lineup data that I shared yesterday that I wanted to bring about for people once again. Jermichael Green at the five this year. According to Cleaning the Glass, he has 1,030 possessions without Jokic or Cousins on the floor. The Nuggets are minus 15.9 in net rating. That's, I mean, that's that's untenable, obviously. Like, nobody should be given a pass for that number. That is really bad. In the 181 possessions that, Yo- that Jermichael Green has played next to Nikola Jokic, uh, the Nuggets have a plus 12.7 net rating. 
in the only 78 possessions that Jamichael Green has played next to DeMarcus Cousins, they have a minus 1.9 net rating, which is still decent. It's not great, but that's with like Thaku and Bones and Rivers and Bryn and like there's just not as much dynamic ability on the perimeter as there is with the starters. So I think that's pretty interesting, and I think it's one of those things that maybe Jamichael Green at the four, a little bit better. Uh, the data that I have, the lineup data, let me just pull that up here real quick uh, because I do think that's an important piece of talking about Jamichael Green. 80% of his minutes have come, like over 80%, have come at center. And less than 20% of his minutes have come at power forward. When you think about it in that context, Denver brought him in initially as a guy who would play next to Isaiah Hartenstein, as a guy who would play next to Nikola Jokic. And he was always a bigger body for that power forward position, which many could slide to center on occasion, but asking him to do that full time was never a good thing. And I do think that this year he's been kind of set up to fail just a little bit because looking at his minutes distribution, he's played the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, over 30 times at the center position, which means Jokic is not playing with them, which means that he's definitely not benefiting from the Jokic bump in a lot of ways. Faku Campazo has this problem too, but he also like plays the end of the fourth quarter like 20 plus times. So he's not completely out of the woods here. Faku isn't. Jamichael Green, like he never stays on the floor towards the end of the game. So I do think that People should give Jermichael Green a little bit less grief in general. He's kind of set up to fail, but I do think that with Denver's roster, kind of like with Faku, uh, he might not be the right guy to play backup five going forward, obviously, but also maybe not backup four. Uh, if Michael Porter comes back, I want him playing over Jermichael Green. If Zeke Naji is healthy and available, I want him playing over Jermichael Green too, though I do think that that's a little bit closer. I'm giving Jermichael Green a D-plus on the year because the defense has slipped. The outside shooting has obviously slipped, but there are signs that he can be helpful in the right circumstances again, and I wonder if Denver can find those circumstances at some point or another. Let's move to Zeke Naji now. 16.7 minutes, 6.8 points, 0.4 assists, 3.7 rebounds, a pretty pedestrian per game numbers, but the 3.7 rebounds is better than I think people would have anticipated. 54% from the field is really high. That is a really, really high number. 48.7% from three is the highest number. That is the the highest three-point percentage in the NBA among guys that have taken as many attempts as Zeke. Now, he gets the benefit of the doubt that he is always taking open shots. He never has to take more because his usage rate of 15.2%, he has the ability to pick and choose when those opportunities exist. And he always gets off those shots, but he's made them. And I do think that he's made them at such a rate now, 65% true shooting, that I do think that he needs more opportunities to prove if that's a real tangible skill that he can continue to develop prior to a playoff series where if Michael Porter, let's say, is not healthy, 
and you need somebody at the forward spots that can space the floor a little bit better than Aaron Gordon, or maybe somebody next to Aaron Gordon that doesn't like give you a slippage defensively, Zeke Naji is a good option. Jeff Green shooting 32% from three. Jamichael Green shooting 26% from three. Austin Rivers is a guard. Bryn Forbes is very small. Like Denver doesn't have a lot of guys that are in between. And Zeke might be one of those guys that has to really step up in that situation. So I am looking at Zeke Naji's minutes. And I am thinking that, hey, this is going to be a really, really big opportunity for him going forward. He has only played 156 minutes with Jokic this year, plus 8.9 net rating, so it's been pretty good. Although, if people remember, there have been some hiccups in the fourth quarter. There were hiccups against, not Orlando, but there are hiccups against Boston, where he closed that game, and then there are hiccups against another team where Denver was playing at home. I don't remember which game it was. Uh, I don't remember. Um, But it was a loss as a result of not being able to not being able to execute down the stretch. That's not necessarily his fault, but I do think that the more time he plays with Jokic, the better he will be prepared for a playoff series. Uh, the Bones and Zeke combination has a 0.0 net rating this year in 353 minutes. That's just independent of anything else. 0.0 is pretty good for a lineup that has been on the bench, playing next to Faku and Jamichael and uh, Austin Rivers and, and guys that have kind of struggled this year at different points. The Bones-Zeke-Jokic combination only played 48 minutes, but it's plus 13.2. And that's, I mean, that's a very positive number. So I am giving Zeke a B plus this year, at least to this point. I'm not giving him an A because I do think that an A grade would have given him and given Michael Malone a little bit more confidence to play him more consistently. I think there are times where Zeke is going to get benched. I think there are times where Michael Malone might think Jamichael Green is a better option. And I am, I'm looking forward to seeing what the rotation is going to look like when pretty much everybody but Vlaco, Murray, and Porter are healthy for the first time in a while. So we're going to see what Denver does. I'm very curious. But B+, plus I think, is fair. Finally, let's go with DeMarcus Cousins, who just signed for the rest of the season, or he will sign by the time, um, not by the time you listen to this podcast, but hopefully by Friday morning or so. Per game, he's only played eight games. He's only played 105 total minutes. So take these numbers with a grain of salt because it is a very low sample size. But 13.1 minutes per game, 6.1 points, 1.1 assists, and 6.3 rebounds in 13.1 minutes. That's incredible. What is not incredible is the 29% that he's shooting from the field and the 28% that he's shooting from three. Those numbers are atrocious, and they deserve to be admonished because a 32% usage rate and a 41% true shooting percentage is one of the worst combinations I've ever seen in my entire life. And so when you watch Boogie's game, when you watch what he does for the Nuggets, he can create off the dribble. He can create from the post. He can grab the offensive rebounds. He puts himself into a position where he can get some easier shots at the rim that are self-created. But he hasn't converted on them well. 
not to this point, and he has a minus 7.6 net rating as a result. I do think that if you just take his individual shooting numbers and you make them like average, like 50% from the field, 30% from three, I think his net rating becomes neutral. And so Denver's got to be banking on that. They've got to be hoping that the shooting comes around, the times that the ball is rolled off the rim are in the past. He's going to continue to look more athletic as he continues to get into better shape. He's going to be in a better, more comfortable position with Denver, maybe now that he has a fully guaranteed contract. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with him, but I do think that he has had a tangible impact on the second unit. Whether that is because he's a big body or because it's the type of player that he is or somewhere in the middle, I don't know. And I think that anybody that says one way or the other is lying to you. Even those connected with the Nuggets, I think they still have some concerns. And it's there's a reason why this took a little bit. They did look at other options. They weren't shy about that. So I do think if you're the Nuggets, you have to hope there's, there's going to be a lot of hope and prayer involved in this situation. But Boogie, he has shown that he can do this in the past. Whether those days are completely behind him or not remain to be seen. But if any coach can coax out the right stuff from him, it's Michael Malone. It's a reunion of two guys that got along very well. And I do think that as Denver continues to trend towards a playoff rotation, I think the Boogie is going to be a part of that whether it's as a 8-10 to minute guy or as a full-time backup behind Nikola Jokic that plays anytime he doesn't, I don't know. I do think there are going to be times where Denver needs to downsize with the second unit and that he's going to be played off the floor by specific matchups. We just didn't see those matchups a lot of the time. But I am very interested. I am very curious. I hope that the Nuggets get it right, and I hope that we see the best of Boogie. Because with what he said in media sessions, with how he's interacted with the team, to me, it seems like he deserves a better shot. He deserves a better opportunity. So consider this the opportunity. Consider this the time that he can get himself back into the NBA, deservably so. Maybe he's turned a little bit of a new leaf. I think there is something to that. So if Michael Malone wants him, you got to trust Michael Malone this time. We will see if that pays off because the guys that are connected to Malone, he needs those guys. He needs at least a couple of those guys to have his back a little bit. So hopefully this works. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to wrap up with some Stiff's mailbag questions. We will be right back. back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've stuck around to this point, then thank you so much. I think this has been a pretty good podcast so far with a lot of information. So let's wrap it up with some good, valuable questions from the Stiffs contingent, from uh, my familiar contingent on Twitter. I grabbed another four questions. I thought that this would be the right number for 
the rest of the year. And I, I haven't really prepared a ton for these questions specifically, so you're getting my natural reactions on these. So Jokic Fever Dream asks, what are your emotions going to be for Jamal's first game back? And I do think that, look, as somebody specifically who I, I've been in Jamal's corner for a long time. Those those that have followed me know that when there were a lot of questions about him and how he would continue to develop for this Nuggets group, I, I was very adamant about my uh, belief in his game and his personality and, and who he was as a player that he would continue to get better, and he had. And there was definitely a lot of that. And all of it kind of got halted when he was injured, and it was a pretty sad experience for a lot of people. It was a sad thing for me, especially because he was, I think, the player, perhaps more so than Nikola Jokic, that provided me the most joy. Because when he goes off, it's just that unstoppable feeling that you get from watching him. Where Jokic, it's death by a thousand cuts. He's going to give you all of the business all of the time. But when Murray gives it to you, it's it's more of just like hammers across the chin for the opponent. And you could sense that when he was dishing it out to the Utah Jazz and to the LA Clippers in the bubble. And he was starting to get to that point when he came back, or when when not when he came back, but when he was starting to get back into form following the bubble season, and then it kind of went down. So my emotions when he comes back, they're they're going to be high because I want to see the best of him. I want the best for him because I do think that he goes about things the right way. I do think that as he has developed with the Nuggets, I've sort of developed in my own career as a, as a part of the media. And our rises have been very, not synonymous, but more of a like, like, tied together because we have a birthday that's two months apart. And so I kind of relate to that uh, as somebody who was very new to this and it was just part of my very foundational years as a Nuggets media member where you start to see how things go. You start to see that this could be something special and I just wanted to latch onto that. So I do think that when he comes back, it's going to be a big deal. You're going to start to feel some belief. You're going to start to feel some heartache when it when he ultimately does come back. And I do think that it's going to be a very positive thing for the Nuggets as a whole. Uh, but more importantly, like not more importantly, but but also importantly for Nuggets fans, where Murray has the capability to engage and interact with the fan base in ways that Jokic may not want to, but also doesn't really try to do. And I do think that Murray, with his ability to get the crowd into it, I think he's just going to be so good for the overall vibe of the of the fan base, where when he comes back, it's going to feel like everything's going to be okay. That's, you've got your guy back. You've got the guy back who was dishing out 50-point, 42-point, 50-point performances in the bubble, unmatched scoring, unmatched courage and charisma. It was to the point that you had many people crowning him as the next big thing. And I want to see that version back. It might take a while. It might not happen this year. It might not happen next year. But I know Jamal's going to keep working towards that. And I think that everybody 
deserves to give him some time to get there because when he does ultimately get there, it's going to be a sight to behold. I will say that. So I will be excited when he comes back. Uh, but more than anything, I'm just going to be happy for him and also happy for Nuggets fans that get to experience it. Peter Martin asks, there are so many variables with the team this season, like the health of Murray and MPJ. I also think when fully engaged and healthy, Will Barton and Jeff Green are massive pluses for this team. Do you see those two having enough left in the tank to be big pluses this postseason? I assume you mean Barton and Green as kind of two vets that have had to carry the starting lineup a little bit around Nikola Jokic. It's a tough one. I do think that the All-Star break came at the right time for both of those guys. You could see in the final game of the year against Golden State, not, not the year, before the All-Star break against Golden State, that both of those guys were a little bit checked out, not necessarily providing the requisite hustle and um, physicality and attention attention to detail that you would hope for in a game against the Warriors. So hopefully they can stay at that level. I do think that veterans understand this in a way that maybe young players don't, that there's a time and a place to ramp up versus ramp down. And fans won't necessarily catch on to this all the time, but Will Barton strikes me as a guy who in his 10th year of his career, Jeff Green in his 15th year of his career, those guys know what they're doing. Those guys know, like, they, they still want to win. Like, they definitely still are going to go extremely hard. But they're going to be tired. I do think that that's fair and that Jeff Green probably wasn't expecting to start 42 games like he has this year. Will Barton probably wasn't expecting to be the second leading usage rate guy in the second unit. So we're going to have to see. We're just going to have to see what those guys look like and, and whether Denver can ramp down their minutes enough that they can be impactful at the at the maximum amount that they possibly can be at this stage of the year? It's a good question, and it's hard for me to answer until I see them again, until we see what they look like heading into the playoffs. But I do think that that's something that Denver, they may not have the ability to forecast. They may not have the ability to give them the time off that they should need. Though I do think that with Jeff Green, Michael Malone knows that he can play Zeke Nagy, start Zeke Nagy, and feel okay. Or that they can start Aaron Gordon, move Austin Rivers into the starting unit, and, and be okay. So we'll see what they do. I'm, I'm very curious like you. Googler Geiger asks, if the Nuggets don't advance to the second round, will this season be considered a failure or still a success? Or will it depend on the matchup? I think even less than on the matchup, I, I think it's more dependent on who do the Nuggets have available on their team? Like, if Murray and Porter are out there and you lose in the first round, I think it's a failure. I do. Like, now if they, if they're just like coming off of it like three games and they have like a three game cushion between then and the end of the year, then maybe you give a little bit of, I don't know, you give a little bit more leeway to a team in that situation. But I do think that boiling it down to whether they make or miss the second round of the playoffs is probably the wrong call. There are so many factors that I'm going to have to figure out that if you don't 
tie those into the season, and as nuanced as this season in particular has been, then I do think people will miss the point. There are going to be those that boil it down, that say, hey, if you lose to the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round, then it's a failure. Maybe. I think some people will think that. If you lose to the Dallas Mavericks, I do think it's a failure. If you lose to the Utah Jazz, I do think it's a failure. If you lose to the Golden State Warriors, I don't know. I don't know about that. Like, what if Denver stays at the six, and then Golden State drops to the three, and then you have a seven-game series where Yoke was absolutely unbelievable, but Denver just didn't quite have enough to stop Steph Curry? Like, I'm not going to bemoan them for that. Will I bemoan them if they have Murray and Porter back and they had another opportunity to go get a Justin Holiday or some other wing defender that could have matched up a little bit better and they chose not to? Yeah, I might bemoan, I might bemoan that a little bit more. But I do think that Denver, if you're doing that, then you have to have a good reason. And like I, I would just I would not look so far into it that you get tied up in the moment that this team at their maximum potential was a finals contender and giving them an opportunity to get back to that point, I think is more than fair. If they don't have the runway this year, then I think you can absolutely say, no, the season is still a success. If let's say Nikola Jokic wins another MVP, like I think that's awesome. I think that would be great just because Denver didn't make it past the sec past to the second round. I'm not going to I am not going to bemoan them for that. But I will cover it fairly. And finally, let's wrap up with Omar. Omar asks, "Where do you see Bones' long-term future and fit with the team? And how does that affect the rest of the roster?" This is a tough one. I've talked about this before. I believe in Bones. I believe in his ability as a point guard, as a scoring guard, as a dynamic playmaker to ultimately become something akin to a star. Maybe it's not like a full-blown star, but it is more of like a second unit lead playmaker that could really change the complexion of the team. Somebody that can play with Nikola Jokic, with Jamal Murray, with Michael Porter Jr., and just absolutely shred teams. And maybe that it maybe that's all it is. Maybe you just leave him as a sixth or seventh man and see if he could develop into that starting shooting guard. Maybe you move Murray to the two, something like that. But I do think that he's good and that he's going to be very good. The signs are all there for him to continue to be hungry for him to continue to want to build up his body, but also as he continues to develop more confidence, work out the kinks in his game, maybe develop a little bit more strength in his legs, get some strength on his jumper. He is going to be a player that plays the game the right way, that sees the court the right way, and can make a very positive impact on the offensive end at a near star level. Now, whether that fits with this team, given that they have Monte Morris locked up, given that they have Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic, I think you could absolutely make the argument that Denver would prefer to have a 3 and D guy, somebody who's going to lock in on the defensive end, 
And as good as, let's say, Bones Highland is on the offensive end, maybe they'd prefer to have a guard that's that good on the defensive end. Now, I don't know if that guy exists. I don't know if that guy was available to them in the first round of the NBA draft. I was very high on Ayo DeSumo, was very high on Jaden Springer, was very high on Quinton Grimes and Deuce McBride and guys like that. But I do think that if Denver wants to get to the championship, they are going to need to find a player at the guard position that can sit down and guard and that can do so with an air of versatility, but also like an air of just locking somebody up. They don't have that level of player. And I kind of argue with Matt Moore about this pretty consistently. And I think that's that was one of my reasons why I didn't like the Bones draft pick in the first place was because I didn't think that that was the swing that Denver needed to make, despite the fact that he could be a very good player. But if he turns into this next generation of Jordan Clarkson, is that good enough? It might be. It might be good enough for Denver, where Denver then pencils him in as a sixth man, then maybe they trade Monte Morris and say, okay, we, we can use Monte as a nice trade chip now because we believe in Bones, and then we will find a way to figure out the defensive end using that. I don't know if that's the way that I would go about it, but Denver, they found a good player. They identified a good player. They drafted a good player, and so much of Denver's problem over the course of these past couple of years has been that they've drafted too many good players, and I don't think that they've managed drafting enough good players well enough. But I do think that Tim Connolly deserves the benefit of the doubt that this upcoming offseason is going to be very interesting for him, that he'll have an opportunity to correct some mistakes. And I don't know if the Bones draft pick was a mistake. Like I, I very much doubt that it was. But I do think that Denver's going to need to get creative with how they factor him in. Like he may not be ready next year for a full sixth man gig. And like like at a at a high caliber level. You might still need Monte Morris there. And then you have Jamal, Monte, and Bones. But then who's at the two guard? Is it is it still Will? Are you still having Austin Rivers or somebody like that as the backup three in that situation? You're gonna need some more size, and I hope that Denver finds some size because good gosh, they need some size to guard somebody. But we're going to see. We're going to see how they handle it. I am very curious, just as everybody else is, that I couldn't tell you the correct answer here. I have my own opinions on it, but I do think that Bones' long-term future, his fit with the team, is most likely as the long-term prospect sixth man. It's probably not as a starter. And if if he becomes a starter, I think it's probably because Murray left, or because Murray is hurt, or because they're going all offense and they're starting Bones and Murray together. There are some reasons for that. Like, there's definitely some absolute, like, positives in something like that. But I do think it's going to be very interesting to see what the Nuggets do 
and how they go about shaping the defense of this roster going forward because I'm more concerned about it than a lot of people are. I think you've got to defend the opposing teams better than the Nuggets have so far. All right, that's all I've got for everybody. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Good Lord, I went for an hour. Uh, Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I will be back tomorrow night recapping the Sacramento Kings game. We'll go back to our standard 35 to 45-minute podcast episodes. And we've got basketball back. That's exciting. I haven't had real basketball in a while to talk about, so it will be nice to see Nikola Jokic play at full speed again. Hopefully we get an opportunity to say that. Hopefully I didn't jinx it. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support. Talk to you guys very soon.